It's Tuesday, November 26th, 2019, 63 days into the impeachment inquiry. And this is Impeachment Today. Good morning. I'm Hayes Brown, reporter and editor at BuzzFeed News. We've got a short week, but no shortage of things we want to cover. As the action in D.C. is on pause, with most members fleeing for their home districts, we're going to take a step back in our next few episodes to take a look at the big picture. Today, we're talking to Chris Miller about Ukraine's ongoing war and the military aid that they were waiting on this summer. But before we get to all that, let's catch up on what happened yesterday. House Intelligence Committee Chair Adam Schiff says the impeachment process is ready to move on to the next phase. In a letter to his colleagues on Monday, Schiff said that after the last two weeks of hearings, it's time to start drafting the official report of just what the inquiry learned. And Schiff says it may be done as soon as next week when Congress returns from Thanksgiving recess. That report then goes on to the House Judiciary Committee, which will consider what articles of impeachment will be drafted. That means Democrats will be barreling forward without the testimony of several key witnesses, including the acting chief of staff and secretary of state. It is possible that more information could come forward even as the report is being drafted, Schiff said. He noted that no documents have been turned over from the executive branch, and he urged those officials who have already been subpoenaed to come have a chat with Congress. If not, an obstruction of justice charge is ready to be played with all the bam of when the last Uno card in your hand is a wild draw four. Democrats are hoping that a new court ruling will help encourage those officials to come spill the tea. A federal judge said that the Department of Justice's claim that the president's top staff are immune from having to testify to Congress was, to paraphrase, fucking ridiculous. The case in question wasn't directly about the current impeachment inquiry. Former White House counsel Don McGahn was quoted throughout the Mueller report, and so the Judiciary Committee called McGahn in to testify. The White House, as you may have guessed, said absolutely not. So to court they went. In her ruling, the judge did not come to play. Quote, Stated simply, the primary takeaway from the last 250 years of recorded American history is that presidents are not kings. This means they do not have subjects bound by loyalty or blood whose destiny they are entitled to control, end quote. I don't know what the Latin term is for mic drop, but uh, that. The Trump administration has already said they plan to appeal the ruling, so it may still be a minute before McGahn testifies. A big question mark here is former National Security Advisor John Bolton. He so far refused to testify, but his lawyer has indicated that he could do so following a court ruling, which we now have, right? Dun, 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 probably not, but eh, it could happen. Meanwhile, Rudy Giuliani had a really bad Monday. First, the New York Times reported that two Ukrainian billionaires in trouble with U.S. law enforcement say Giuliani hit them both up for dirt on the Bidens. One of them was a guy named Demetrio Firtash, who's in Vienna avoiding extradition to the U.S. Firtash says two of Giuliani's cohorts visited him in June. They apparently told him that if he hired a pair of lawyers close to Trump, he'd have an easier time with his case. Wink. The lawyers Firtash hired did wind up getting a meeting about his case with the attorney general. But by then, the whistleblower case was a whole thing, and the million dollars Firtash paid the lawyers was for naught. That's really ironic, by the way, because this is what Giuliani said about Furtash back in March. Back then, he was still using a lawyer that also represented Trump's former fixer, who Giuliani was pretty cheesed off with at the time. Lanny Davis represents a gentleman named Furtash. You have any idea who Furtash is? F-I-R-T-A-S-H. 
he is considered to be one of the close associates of another guy named Mogilevich, who's the head of Russian organized crime, who is Putin's best friend. Hmm. The Giuliani associates who gave Furtash that message were arrested on alleged campaign finance violations this September. They were at JFK Airport on their way to Vienna. Hmm. Hmm. And now the Wall Street Journal also reports that Giuliani is facing a long list of possible charges in connection to the alleged scheme that got his buddies pinched by the feds. Subpoenas issued to Giuliani's company and others connected to him reportedly list a whole bunch of potential charges, including obstruction of justice, money laundering, and conspiracy to defraud the U.S. Yikes. And now, because we can't stop, won't stop reading the tea leaves, let's turn to the nixometer. Well, I'm not a crook. On our scale, zero, normal day, normal White House. Ten, President Richard Nixon resigning and flying away in a helicopter. This morning, we're at a 7.4. Between the Democrats saying the report laying out their case is like a week away and a big loss for the administration at court, there wasn't a lot of good news for the president. But hey, he did bring out the dog that was part of the raid on Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi for the press at the White House. So he's got that going for him. Okay, after the break, we talk to Chris Miller about the war in Ukraine. Stick around. At SheFit, we're tired of hearing new year, new you, fat-burning secrets, and lose weight fast. The only thing you need to lose is self-doubt. The body you're in deserves respect, love, and support. Support you're not getting from your current sports bra. It's time to experience the only sports bra that actually does its job and outperforms the most popular brands on the market. It's time to feel real support from SheFit. Save $10 today at SheFit.com slash 2022. This is Roxanne Gay, host of the Roxanne Gay Agenda, the bad feminist podcast of your dreams. Now, what is the Roxanne Gay Agenda, you might ask? Well, it's a podcast where I'm going to speak my mind about what's on my mind, and that could be anything. Every week, I will be in conversation with an interesting person who has something to say. We're going to talk about feminism, race, writing in books and art, food, pop culture, and yes, politics. I start each show with a recommendation. Really, I'm just going to share with you a movie or a book or maybe some music or a comedy set, something that I really want you to be aware of and maybe engage with as well. Listen to the Luminary Original Podcast, The Roxanne Gay Agenda, the bad feminist podcast of your dreams, every Tuesday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Have you ever felt depressed about work only to have your dad be like, why are you so down? So you told him you hate your job and he said, well, you better talk yourself out of it. And then you thought, hmm, I love to talk. I could host a podcast. And then you went to Spreaker from iHeart and started a podcast and got good at it, then monetized it, then quit your boring job, then told your dad, thanks for the advice. And he was like, well, that's not what I meant. And I don't understand what a podcast is, but you seem happy. So that's great, kiddo. You ever do that? Well, you could at Spreaker.com. That's S-P-R-E-A-K-E-R. Ask your dad. You actually don't. All right, it's time for this fucking thing. It's where we examine a part of the impeachment saga that's really worth diving into. 
Today, that thing is the war in Ukraine and the nearly $400 million in aid that was held up over the summer. The White House says it was part of a routine pause. Democrats allege it was part of a bribery scheme. But what does Ukraine think about all of this as it continues its fight against Russian-backed separatists? Here with us on the phone from Kiev to answer those questions and more is Christopher Miller. Hi, Chris. How you doing? Good. Welcome back. Thanks for joining us again. Thanks for having me. Okay, so for some of our listeners who may not be as well-versed as you, what's the quickest recap you can give of how Ukraine found itself in this war? In late 2013, early 2014, Ukraine was embroiled in revolution. This revolution ousted Ukraine's pro-Russian president, Viktor Yanukovych, who fled to Moscow. And Vladimir Putin, angry about seeing his guy being ousted in Kiev, invaded and annexed uh, Ukraine's Crimean Peninsula. And you'll remember this happened in March 2014. And just a few weeks after that, in April of 2014, Russia's operation in Crimea kind of spread east into Ukraine's Donbass region, where protests fomented by Russia spiraled into all-out war. And by the end of May 2014, that's where Ukraine found itself, in this crazy war. And you'll remember things like the downing of, of the MH17 airliner jet, and it was total chaos. You actually just published a story last week from the front lines of that fight. So how are things going there on the front? Things are still pretty tough on the front line. I spent a week out there talking with dozens of Ukrainian soldiers, with civilians who are still caught in the crossfire of this war, you know, or for the Ukrainian soldiers very much participating in this war and defending Ukrainian soil. They're taking casualties on a daily basis. One of the major lines that the president and others have, you know, pushed is the idea that Obama only gave Ukraine pillows and blankets while Trump provided them with lethal aid. Is that a fair reading of how things went down on that front? No, no, not at all. It's no secret that Obama did not support providing lethal aid to Ukraine in the way that the Trump administration has in sending Javelin anti-tank missiles. But... What the Obama administration did send were things like counter-artillery radar systems, night vision devices, battlefield medical kits. And, you know, there was this great story that this commander I spoke to last week told me. And I was asking, you know, like, you guys had the Javelin missiles delivered to you, but they're kept in storage far from the front lines. I wonder, you know, if some of the other military equipment that you've had here for several years has really helped in your fight. And, you know, he said, actually, what has proven to be really valuable for them are these night vision devices, because a lot of the fighting and the most intense fighting comes at night here. And he told me this story about being just completely bombarded by enemy fire from mortars and grenades and they had no idea where it was coming from. But luckily, his brigade actually happened to have one of these counter-artillery radar systems. And so he tells me about finding out where this fire is coming from, being able to locate these enemy positions through that, and then countering with their own fire. And he told me in this like really dramatic fashion about returning fire after that and then kind of watching the smoke rise from the hillside. And he tells me, you know, we totally destroyed them. And this was a really good example of the value in the non-lethal aid that the U.S. has given. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about the aid package this summer that was held up. $391 million from the State Department and Pentagon 
put on pause in July. It sounds like a lot of things you were just describing was what that money was going to be used to buy more of, right? Yes, to go back to like what this $391 million is for. Yes, it's those things that I mentioned before, some other safety and security equipment. And then a lot of the money is also used for training. So the U.S. military has been on the ground in Western Ukraine at bases there where they spend a lot of time working hands-on with Ukraine's military to train them in more modern war methods, right? And then, you know, this continued training that really has helped shape a pretty ragtag Ukrainian military into one of the largest fighting forces on European soil. Okay, so that aid was eventually released on September 11th after the White House learned of a whistleblower's complaint and Congress began to investigate. One of the biggest questions, though, has been, when did Ukraine actually know that the aid was being held up? What's your take on that? Well, there's still some debate around this, and I don't think we know yet exactly when Ukraine found out, but we're getting closer to figuring it out. You know, I had reported last month for us at BuzzFeed News that the Ukrainians found out in early to mid-May via a essentially a telegram from their embassy in Washington. But then a few weeks later, the New York Times reported that the Ukrainians may have found out earlier, I believe that report said possibly in July, and that it may have gone either all the way to the top, to President Zelensky, or to someone within his administration. But then last week, in some of the testimonies that we saw, there was talk about the Ukrainians knowing about the aid holdup, possibly even earlier than had been previously reported. And there was uh, one testimony in particular that suggested that the Ukrainians had reached out to the U.S. side on or around July 25th, which was the day of the call between Zelensky and President Trump, to inquire about the aid being held up. There are some other reports as well that have suggested that the Ukrainians may have kind of caught on, but might not have been told explicitly about the holdup earlier than that. But, you know, we're still kind of digging around and trying to pin that date down. Trying to get the paper trail, as it were. So we're still working out when they knew, but what would you say the biggest effect was of the hold that this money was held up in general? Well, if you talk to the Ukrainians, like I have here, they're going to tell you that when it was made public, this holdup of aid, it sent a pretty clear signal, not only to the Ukrainians that, hey, the U.S. president is sort of wavering on his support for Ukraine. But it also sent a pretty disturbing message to Russia as well, at least if you're a Ukrainian. And that message is the U.S. is not standing as firmly beside Ukraine as it had in the past. And ahead of really important peace talks next month between President Zelensky and President Putin, Zelensky is going in in a weakened position. Having this aid before this meeting, but not only that, just you know, without the sort of drama around it, would have sent a pretty clear signal to Putin that the U.S. is unwavering in its support for Ukraine and going into negotiations is going to make sure that Ukraine gets the best deal possible, if there's a deal to be had. And now, question mark, question mark, question mark. Who knows what Putin's going to try and pull? We'll see. Exactly. Okay, Chris, we're going to jump ahead a year in the future. It's you know just after the 2020 election. Do you think the war will still be going on? Yes, unfortunately. This is not a conflict that is going to be settled very quickly. It's entirely possible that President Zelensky and President Putin could make some big decisions and come to some agreements when they meet next month. This has dragged on for five years, and there have been several moments when we thought there might be a chance for peace. So unfortunately, yes, the war is still going to be going on. However, 
I, I think it's entirely possible that the intensity could... It could calm down to a less of a hot war, is what you're saying. Right, right. It could even move from this kind of like deadly simmer where it's at to something even more stagnant. And, you know, that wouldn't be necessarily a bad thing. All right. Well, Chris, thank you so much for taking the time and breaking this all down for our listeners out there so that they can really get a sense of what's happening in Ukraine rather than just what's happening in the impeachment hearings. Thanks for having me. All right, that's the show for today. Tomorrow, we'll have a very special episode to prep you for discussing some of the weird conspiracies like CrowdStrike that may be servered up with dinner this week. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's all really weird. Sorry, bye. (laughs) Speaking of which, before we go, we're curious to hear your strategies for dealing with any impeachment talk that might come up on Turkey Day. Yes, we all have that, uncle. So send them in. Also, if things at the dinner table do get weird, please let us know about that too. You are absolutely allowed to change the names of any family members you might be incriminating. Open the Voice Memo app on your phone, record your message, and email it to impeachment at buzzfeed.com. Or just send me a direct message on Twitter. I'm at Hayes Brown, and my DMs are always open. <sighs> you know what we'd be thankful for? Your subscription to Impeachment Today on the iHeartRadio app or Apple Podcasts. And maybe leave a rating and a review. Also, tell your friends about the show as we all figure this out together. Hi, I'm Randy, and this is Dave. We're the founders of Bombas, the most comfortable socks in the history of feet. So comfortable, we sold and donated millions of pairs. To sell and donate a lot of socks, we became obsessed with comfort. We reinvented the sock from the ground up, adding comfort innovations along the way. It worked. People tried them, loved them, told their friends about them. Helping us sell and donate millions of pairs. Try them now at bombas.com slash comfy and get 20% off your first order. That's B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash comfy. After 30 years, it's time to return to the halls of West Beverly High and hang out at the Peach Pit on the podcast 9021OMG. Visit Jenny Garth and Tori Spelling for a rewatch of the hit series Beverly Hills 90210 from the very beginning. We get to tell the fans all of the behind-the-scenes stories that actually happened. So they know what happened on camera, obviously, but we can tell them all the good stuff that happened off camera. Listen to 9021OMG on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Roxanne Gay, the host of the Roxanne Gay Agenda, the bad feminist podcast of your dreams. Each week, I talk to an interesting person about feminism, race, writing in books and art, food, pop culture, and yes, politics. We can't escape politics. Listen to the Luminary Original podcast, The Roxanne Gay Agenda, every Tuesday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 